podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Voices of the Vic podcast with me, Ben Ayton and Mike Duffy. We're back with a new episode and we're here to talk about the 2-1 victory over Reading last night at Vicarage Road. But I'm delighted to say we're joined by Andrew French from Watford Observer. Firstly, Andrew, before I ask you how you are, I want to say a massive thank you on behalf of all Watford fans for the absolute superb coverage you've brought to Watford Observer this year. It just feels like Watford Observer is back. Um, They're a trusted source. And to be fair, you're probably like the go-to now for a lot of Watford fans. So, yeah, massive thank you. And it must... Are you enjoying being back? Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. And um, it's very kind of you to say that. But all I'm really doing is what I think any fan would do if they got my chance. You know, that's what I've always said is try and ask the questions I would ask when I was sitting over in the Low and Graham Taylor and deal with the things that I couldn't deal with when I was too far away from it. You know, I, I never actually covered the club before. This is the first time I've covered the club. I worked at the Watford Observer for a decade, but um, Ollie was always there. So I only really got to do it for two weeks in the summer when he went on holiday. But obviously then I worked at the club, so got to know that side of it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Um, I'm glad people enjoy it. I can't always get every answer to every question. Um, people may not always like the answers I get. They may not always agree with what I write. But um, what I can hopefully say is that everything's covered in depth and we do it fairly. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to get the things that the fans would ask if they were in my position. So I'm very privileged. Yeah, no, definitely. And Duff, you would agree, he's definitely delivered so far this season, like exclusive interviews with like Scott Duxbury, with uh, Rob Edwards, and the list goes on. And obviously that invitation is out there still for Gino Posso to speak to Andrew French as well. Um, but ha- how good is it to have someone like Andrew at the moment, Mike? Yeah, it's been a while since we've had this sort of access from behind the scenes. I think um, the, the last one I can really remember was Kevin Affleck at... Um, I think it was WD Sports. I, I'm not sure of the page name, but uh, he, he then got poached by the by the club to, to work on their, the media for the club. But yeah, it's brilliant. And I think what Andrew said there towards the end is he, he he's doing it as a fan. And I think there's a lot of people out there that, especially at the moment on Twitter, they'll just moan for the sake of moaning. Like he's asked every question he can. He's, you know, and there'll, there'll still be people out there that regardless of, how good an interview it might be, you're still going to get those idiots out there that are like, oh, well, why didn't you ask this? Or why have you done this and not, what, not ask this? So, but at the end of the day, it's, it's uh, and again, I'm not just saying it because Andrew's here. We've, we've often spoken about it on the pod, Ben, that the the, the interviews and, and the questions asked, uh, it, it's because it's, it's coming from a fan, you feel the connection more. So, yeah, it's uh, it's superb. And like you said, you know, it's great to, great to have you on the show, Andrew. It really is. No, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And um, when it comes to questions, I don't, I've, you know, I've not had many run-ins, but there's one or two people who will say, well, why didn't you ask this again? Why didn't you ask this in a certain way? And I think the one thing that may, maybe when you've not been a journalist that, that isn't easy to understand is you have to build a relationship. You know, so if I walk into a room and Slavin Bilic says, you know, Cathcart is injured. And I say, OK, when did he get injured and at the weekend? Is he going to play? No. Now, there's probably people who'd like me to grill him harder, but I've also got to talk to him the following Tuesday and the following Friday. And there's going to come a point, if I keep giving him a hard time, where he's just going to say, you know, you're taking the pee. So, no. Um, So, you do try and grill people, but there's only so many ways you can ask the same question. 
And certainly with someone like Bilic, you know, he doesn't mince his words. So when he says something, he doesn't leave anything open to interpretation. You know where he's coming from, um, which I quite like. I'd much rather someone who, who says it, you know, for, shoots from the hip. But, you know, it, it doesn't frustrate me. It's just I wish people could understand that, you know, you have to build a relationship. And that doesn't mean I'll give Bilic or Scott Duxbury or anybody else an easy time. But if they answer a question and it's quite obvious that's their view or that's what they feel to be correct, then it doesn't matter how many ways I frame the question. All I'm going to do is hack them off. Um, and I think it's good for all of us fans that, you know, we have that ongoing relationship. And, you know, it's not like I'm in the pocket, but it does mean that we do get that access, you know. So over the, the World Cup break, you know, there's hopefully one or two things that I've lined up that, you know, will be good and, and things that people wouldn't read anywhere else. You know, I always think back to the Dan Gosling interview. Who knew that when I sat down with Dan Gosling that he was going to, you know, sort of blow the lid on last season. But that that shows that he, you know, had a good relationship, trusted me, and that's helped me with other players. You know, I won't name them, but there's one or two others who said, I wish I'd had the chance to do that. So it was lovely in a way that, you know, the, the Dan Gosling interview, one, one or few others sort of showed people at the club that I could be trusted and I wouldn't hang them out to try. And so, you know, maybe if I don't always ask the question people would like me to ask or they think I should have gone in harder, that's not my excuse. That's just my explanation is that you have to have a relationship and sometimes you have to go, okay, fair enough. You know, it's like that with your boss at work. If you ask something and he says no, you might ask a second time. If he says no a second time, you're probably not going to ask a third time if you want to keep your job. So um, that's the only thing I'd say is, you know, if, if people do think I'm a bit easier, I'm not asking things they won't ask, give it time. You know, we'll get there. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, the communication has definitely improved from Watford FC this summer. Certainly, we've seen um, them opening up their players for the likes of, YouTubers like us and podcasters with WD18, Do Not Scratch Your Eyes. Um, us, we've all had the opportunity to interview players where we might not have been given that opportunity before. We've seen ex exclusive interviews with yourself, with um, Dan Goslin and Daniel Batman, and you've had the interview with Scott Duxbury. So things are improving, and it, it sounds like exciting times are ahead for Watford as well, where the communication is getting better and maybe you've got a few more interviews lined up, which Watford fans will look forward to. So it's good to know that there's players that trust you and want to open up to you. And it, it, like you say, it's all about that building the relationship with people and you built a brilliant relationship with Rod Edwards and I know that, that ended quite quickly because we know what Watford are like when it comes to international breaks. But that relationship you're building with Sav and Bilic now, it's it, What's the difference between like talking to Rob Edwards at, to Slav and Bilic? Um, is he as approachable as Rob Edwards? Yeah, yeah, he's very, he's a very approachable bloke. Got a very good sense of humour. If I was going to say the difference, it, it's probably the obvious one that when Bilic speaks, you can tell he's done that lots of times before, and he's very experienced and he knows his way around a press room. Whereas with Rob, and uh, you know, I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, when he came to Watford, it was probably the first time he'd experienced full-on media. Certainly in the early days, you know, he was the flavour of the month. Everyone wanted to talk to him. Um, whereas for Billich, you know, he did it when he was a player. He was manager of his national team. He managed West Ham. He managed West Brom. So, you know, the, the press to him, it, it's it's something he's done all the time, and that's probably the difference. Um, the benefit I have is because I see him in the last month it's been twice a week sometimes three times a week you know we got to the point where he knows who I am he knows what I do he will at the end of press conferences chat off the record a little bit or, or mark my card on a couple of things and I think sometimes managers do that what people do it in life just to test you out and see if you drop them in the cart 
And I don't, you know, that, there's no point. He's never going to trust me again. So I, I find him really easy to get on with. And, and he, he's, he's actually got a very good sense of humour. I mean, the one that cracked me up the other week was when a journalist in one of the press conferences from one of the nationals said, um, if we do get Julian Dix on the staff, would he be helping with player fitness? And Billich just deadpan said, well, he's not a fitness coach and he's not fit. And the journalist looked at him and then Billich laughed just to say, no, I'm joking. But I just thought that was, you know, that that's he can lighten a room. I mean, he has got a steely glare. And I've said to a few people, I, I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. But he's, he's charming. He, you know, every time he sees you, shakes hands, says good morning, good afternoon. You know, he, he, he's a good bloke. Um, I've, I've worked with, with far harder than him. And, you know, I think given time, <laughs> both of us, right. if we, if he gets that, then, you know, we can have an even better relationship. But at the moment, it's just been full on. We've not really had a chance to sit down and, and chat anything other than games. We did have a little chat about holidays in Croatia the other week and the best places to go to. But that was literally 10 minutes before a press conference. So hopefully over the next month, I'll get more time just to get to know him and him to get to know me. And, you know, but, as I say, I can't complain of the access. He, he's answered every question, even if sometimes he said to me that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that, but can we keep it off the record for the time being, which you have to respect. So no no problem with dealing with him at all. Well, that's brilliant. Well, it, it's definitely been a good start for Watford. They've moved up to fifth in the table. Um, they picked up their fourth win in five games yesterday with a 2-0 victory over Reading. Um, Mike, what was your thoughts on the performance yesterday? Uh, I mean... <laughs> Firstly, it just makes it even more frustrating that we couldn't beat bloody Coventry because imagine how that would have, how good that would have put us. And I think we would have been pretty close to uh, Blackburn, I think, in second. So, you know, that, that would have put us pretty close to them going into the final game before the World Cup. But um, I actually thought that the performance yesterday, it was like we were the better side for, for most of the game. But I thought it was quite sluggish from both teams. It, it was it represented two teams that have played however many games in is it seven days or something crazy like that. So you could see that both teams were sort of mentally and physically drained. Uh, I think our quality obviously shone through in the end, but um, it, it was I, I think it was quite a, a slow sort of pace game. I, I noticed. I listened to the uh, Do Not Scratch Rise um, Twitter space afterwards, and the people that went to the game sort of had a different view to those that may have watched it. But certainly watching it on TV, I thought it was quite quite a slow, sluggish game. But obviously, we, we come out on top when we needed to, and Reading's individual mistakes cost them the game at the end of the day because I thought they had really good passages of play, and we were very lucky that they didn't have anyone that could finish up front because... That could have been a different game. Yeah, they didn't really work Daniel Batman last month, night. I don't think he had much to do. He came for two two really good crosses. I thought, bloody hell, we can command that six-yard box. And he <laughs> connected the ball really well. Um, but the defence did really well. And I, I mentioned the defence as well. I must say, with credit was with credit, Stu, Christian Cabaselli didn't put a yep. foot wrong last night. And we're quick to jump on his back and criticise performances, but we need to credit him as well when he puts in a decent performance. And he was sterling last night. If anything, he was probably the better centre-half above Truce Econ last night. Um, but, Andrew, Truce Econ, he's came into the side, he's taken the captain's armband, but he's becoming that leader at the back, isn't he? And he's like organising defence. That's what Watford's kind of needed, especially when Craig Cathcart's not in the team, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think 
the, the thing that stuck with me was um, before the Luton game where they had the players meeting that wasn't organised. It was it was impromptu. And, and Trusty Kong was the one who called it and, and spoke first. Now, you know, you'd, you'd have thought perhaps it might have been a Cathcart thing or, you know, I, I don't know. I, just, it, I, was, I wasn't surprised because Trusty Kong is, is captain of his country. But to hear that he organised it and he sat down and he wanted to make sure that every player understood the magnitude of that game. That that's leadership. You know, you lead by example on the pitch, but you, you lead with authority off it. So I'm not really surprising. And I've, you know, spoken to him a few times and he, he is extremely passionate um, about Watford and it's not just a front. He really, you know, it, that's his team and, you know, he, he's, he's excited to be here. Um, I think he, he, you know, he probably needed a run in the team. I think watching him last night, one of the things that he's obviously grown in confidence doing is carrying the ball out from the back, which is something that, you know, from talking to Bilic, he wants to see more of. He doesn't want to see us pinging 40-yard diagonals. He'd rather one of the midfielders come and get the ball or one of the centre-halves drive through. And, and Trusty Kong seems comfortable doing that. And I think if the two of them, Trusty Kong and Cavazzelli last night, they, they stuck to what they're good at. Um, and they didn't try to do anything that, is outside their comfort zone. Um, and I, I was pleased with Cavasale. You know, he takes he takes a lot of stick. Um, but last night, you can't do more than a clean sheet. I think Reading's first on-target goal attempt was in the second minute of stoppage time now. Um, maybe, maybe they came here to, to look for a point. Um, something that you said interesting there about teams looking tired. After the game, Ince um, went to great lengths to say how he just could not wait for the international break. Now, I know we've heard a lot of that from Billich. And and people think that it's an excuse, or you know, we've got we we should you know, players should be able to play three games a week. And I, I have a sympathy with that. I was brought up in the eighties when you know you didn't have squads and you didn't have seven subs. But when another manager like in who's an international says, you know, my I think he used the phrase, my squad is falling apart around me um, because we've played you know two games a week for three weeks. Um, you know, he said we're not training. He said literally we play recover, do set pieces, play, recover, do set pieces. He said, that's that's no good because you don't get any work into the players on their physical strength. So I think you're probably right. You saw two teams last night who, you know, if, if this was the first week in May, you'd say, well, they, you know, they just want to get on holiday. I think players now want to get a rest because it has been demanding. Um, I, do, I do agree that, you know, it's not as demanding as, you know, being a doctor or working down a coal mine, but you have to look at things relatively in football terms. We've had a really compound set of fixtures where, you know, you've had more midweek games than you normally would. So that with injuries, suspensions, I don't think we're the only club who are feeling it. And I think, you know, from just talking to Ince last night, he just can't wait. You know, he said he'd be delighted. He said the one thing that he's pleased about with the world cup is that it's got him a break. So yeah, I think they were two tired teams I think Reading, from what Int said, would have been very happy to walk out of there with a nil-nil. Um, but he was furious about the penalty. You know, he said that it, they'd spent a lot of time before the game saying, "Look, if, if Watford are going to beat us, let's be beaten by a bit of quality." Um, and then, you know, one of their defenders decides to, you know, sort of clothesline Gio Pedro right under the nose of the referee. Couldn't have asked for a better start than that. Um, and, you know, they, they were playing catch-up after that. And Billich said the only thing that, that frustrated him was that we didn't kill it off sooner. But that was mainly due to a couple of good saves. You know, I think we we had more on-target shots than we've done in the last few, three, you know, three or four games. Mm-hmm. We're getting there. Um, what I'm hoping is that with the international break, that when we come back, we'll see the full Billich effect. Because I think we've seen it maybe over the last six games. 
um, where we start to see his patterns and the way he wants things done, implemented, and the players listening to him. And with a four-week break and a mini pre-season, you know, you sort of hope that we're going to really hit the ground running when we come back just before Christmas. Yeah, definitely. Well, he's starting to get a tune out with players. You, you, you're getting the commitment and um, players playing out of position as well. Because um, we've got to remember last night we won 2 0. We didn't have a recognised left back, didn't have a recognised right back. Um, and, and we still managed to get the result. It wasn't pretty, um, but we managed to find a way to win. And I think that's one of, the, one of the things that Bidish is very good at. You know, I don't, I don't know if many other managers would have decided to put Gosling at right back, and it's turned out to be a real masterstroke. And he's keeping a, you know, an international right back out of the team. Um, and what I like about Bilic is, and he said this a couple of times, when it comes to things, you know, where we've got a patchwork team, he always tries to minimise the amount of players who are out of position. So, you know, when it when it came to doing things in defence, he, he put. Gosling at right back rather than moving a centre half to right back or doing anything else. He just played one player out of position. Last night, he played two players out of position. He would rather have nine, eight, ten people in positions they're comfortable in rather than shuffling everybody around. And, you know, I think it's just, it's just that, that difference in his experience uh, of where he's been and what he's done. Um, and he's, you know, you're right. He gets tuned out of people. You know, I thought last night he, he, you know, he told Pedro to get in the box more. They had a meeting in the afternoon and, and the result was Pedro was in the box more. I know he'd been talking about Chowdhury and wanting to snap into tackles more and play on the front foot. You saw that last night, Chowdhury's best game for us. So, you know, I think it will take time because really, if you think about it, he arrived 10 games in, that's like him arriving in June. Uh, and you wouldn't expect his team to be, you know, flying in pre-season. It takes a couple of months. But yeah, I think um, all the signs are there that they understand what he wants he keeps it simple um, and he's very passionate and that's what he expects his teams to be. You know, Saturday against Coventry, he didn't think it was a bad performance because the effort was there. It's when, you know, games like Blackpool away where there was an obvious lack of effort, that that's what will really hack him off. But I don't think, you know, no, getting to know him a little bit, I, I don't think that he will put up with too many of them before people found that, you know, he's, he's got a, a more steely side to him. So, yeah, I, I, I thought finding a way to win. I remember the, the great Liverpool team of the 80s with Bob Paisley that always used to say, you know, that you, you can, if you win games when you don't play well, a sign of a good side. Um, you know, we, we absolutely blew Luton apart, but then we beat, not you know, uh, Reading last night without playing particularly well. That's the sign of a good side, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. Mike, Andrew mentioned him there, and I know you was really pleased with his performance last night, but Hamza Chowdhury, uh, you said it was your man of a match. He's definitely my man of a match, and Andrew said it's the best we've seen him in a Watford shirt. L- like Andrew just said, obviously he's had a conversation with Billich, and Billich just said what he wants out of him. And we definitely saw it last night. Like We saw him picking that ball off from like Trucy, Connor, the book. He was, he was bringing the ball forward, and he was playing those progressive passes, wasn't he? And that ball that he slipped in, in between the two Reading defenders, find Gosling down to uh, fits the ball back across the six-yard box, is, is exactly what we've been missing in that midfield. And Hamza Chowdhury showed that he can be capable to do that. But talk to me about Hamza Chowdhury and what made you enjoy his performance so much last night. Uh, I just think it's it's what... I, I don't know whether it was wrong for me to do so in the first place, but it's what I expected when he first came in. You sort of watch clips or you, you've sort of heard of Hamza Chowdhury at Leicester before and he's this midfielder that puts himself about, breaks up the play in the middle, 
uh, and sort of try to make things happen. And I don't think we've really seen that side of Hamza Chowdhury. I mean, I was really impressed with him against uh, against Luton because, you know, he's sort of known as a bit of a rugged centre midfielder that's not afraid to put a challenge in. And we saw that against Luton and he certainly fit the bill of players. Well, everyone did that game, but fit the bill of players that understood and wasn't afraid to, to put a challenge in, which is what you want in those type of games. So I think I, I was very impressed with his interceptions. I think he got the most interceptions in the game. Uh, I've seen a few stats out there from last night and his stats really spoke for himself that the performance was was summed up by by, by that. And yeah, it's just what I, what I expected from Hamza when he came in from Leicester. And I think the Leicester fans are getting wind of, of his recent performances and I think they have perhaps been a bit surprised that Watford fans haven't been sort of singing his praises um, sort of earlier on in his uh, loan spell. But uh, if he can keep it up like he did last night, then I'll be absolutely delighted. And it's what we expect from Hamza. But yeah, I was really impressed with him last night. Might not be seeing his One thing I was going to say about Hamza, sorry, was that I think he's really stepped up to the plate since loser's not been available. Mm. Um, now, I don't know if that was a, a you know a thing that Bilic asked, but it's almost like he stepped forward and thought, well, you know, that bloke's going to be out for a while now. I've got to show some class here. And, he's, you know, I think he's really, over the last two or three games, has looked, as Mike said, the player that we thought we'd signed in the summer. It's not like he was particularly bad before that, but he stood out. You know, he's looked like a premiership player in a championship side, which is, is how he should be. So, whether whether the loser injury has, has subconsciously made him look at things a different way, whether Billich just sat down with him, but it's nice to see someone in the middle of the park grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck and and sort of bossing it, and that's what he's done. And you know, you know, if he played like that every week, then more often than not, we would win the midfield. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what we've struggled to do in some games this season. We've we've struggled to win that midfield battle, haven't we? But if Hamza can perform like that week in, week out, which is going to be tough because the championship's relentless and you've got three games a week at times, but it, it's, it's promising signs from Hamza Chowdhury. Uh, Andrew, I want to get your thoughts on Ken Semmer because obviously he filled in a left-back last night and he's just showing how versatile he can be in this Watford team. He's obviously played... Left wing back, left back, centre midfielder. He switched over to the right hand side of this season because Billich likes to play with the inverted wingers. But is he the kind of player that obviously he he lacks abilities at sometimes, but he always gives a hundred and ten percent. And in the championship, that's what you need, isn't it? Yeah, I think when I think back to when we got promoted two seasons ago, he for me was one of our standout players. Um, he found it harder in the Premier League, but he wouldn't be the first and he won't be the last player that finds that step up difficult. You know, there's people who have cost millions who uh, haven't been able to do that. I think what you said there is right. I think he's wholehearted. I think whatever you ask him to do, a bit like Dan Gosling, you know, Billich has said the same about both of them, that whenever he's asked them to do something, they're the sort of players who just say, yeah. You know, so there's other players who go, well, I can do my best or I don't know if I can do that or I'll give it a try. Whereas the likes of Semmer and Gosling, yeah, whatever you want me to do, they just want to play. Um, I thought he was excellent last night. Uh, you know, I, I love the way it, it's the way he goes past people. And the best way I can describe it, it's like watching someone roll in a barrel. He's sort of got this knack of going round people or through people without fouling them, almost turning round sometimes. And I don't quite know how he does it. It's not a drop of the shoulder. He's not got electric pace. He's just got a way of getting past people. Um, and I thought he grew into the game last night. You know, I thought early on playing at left back must be hard when you're used to playing up, you know, up top, but, he grew into it. He looked confident. 
you know, you can always tell once other players prepared to give them the ball a lot that they're happy with him there. Um, you know, it, it's it's yeah, it, it, you know, you what you want people like Sammy, you want people like Goslin who are good at what they do, but are good at doing other things as well. Um, and and the players really like him. You know, he's he's one of the ones at the club that he's very popular. Um, you know, he's got a, he's got a nice personality. Um, the fans like him. I, I just thought last night he showed that there was a real willingness to do stuff for the team. Um, at a time when you know there, there's some players at other clubs who, who would definitely have down tools and said, "No, I don't, I don't want to play left back. That's that's not my position." But you know, he's done it and got us out of a hole. We kept a clean sheet with a, a you know a winger and a central midfielder at fullback. Um, so yeah, f- fair play to the two fullbacks last night. They you know they won't get too much of the glory, but you know <laughs> they've kept a clean sheet playing in positions that are foreign to them. And I, I thought both of them, Ken, Ken Semmer and Dan Gosling, were excellent last night. Yeah, they're like our James Milner, aren't they? They're just versatile. They'll play wherever you want them on the pitch. Um, absolutely fantastic. And Mike, we had that super sub come on last night. We've been asking for him to have more appearances. We saw him at Wigan and he, he came on and dazzled the, the, the um, DW Stadium. He ran past five players and his trickery ended up helping Watford score because it lead, led to a corner and we, we a spree across it in and Pedro scored. Then he picked up a little knock and we didn't see him at Cardiff, didn't see him against Coventry, but he was back on the bench last night against Reading and he came on just after 60 minutes. Really good cameo from Samuel Kalou and I know Andrew, I spoke to him after the game and we'll, we'll speak to Andrew in a sec about what he said and that, but we've finally seen more of Kalou and he, he just he injected that energy and pace, didn't he? And just gave Redding defenders something different to think about because he, he offered something different for what, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And it's that burst of pace that you need. You know, you, what what you want from a substitute is when it's whatever time they come on, whether it's half an hour to go or whether it's five minutes to go, you want that burst of pace to bring on. You want someone to run at tired legs. Like there was many tired legs out there last night. You want someone a bit like we always used to expect with Forestieri, you'd bring him on sort of last 20, 10 minutes to run at tired legs, try and unlock the defence a little bit. And that burst of pace, as you say, and the trickery was, was superb. And I think it's only a matter of time, you know, before he scores his first goal because he's come close a couple of times and, he, you know, he's come close to assisting as well. I think he had a chance last night. Uh, which was was blocked, or um, he, he he tried to square the ball, and it would have been an open goal, but it was blocked. I think it was for Davies. Um, so it's it's good to see him. There were loads of people at the start of the season. Where's Kaluga? And is he another one of these Mogi Bayat boys where he's uh, he's going to come in and we're never going to see him again? We were told that he had an injury. He's you know coming back now and. To be honest, Ben, if he plays like that, if, if his next few appearances have to be off the bench because of other players keeping him out, but he plays like that, they, they, there's no reason why he can't force his way in and be a starter in that team. There really, really isn't. I was I was delighted with him last night. And like I say, that's just what you want to see from your substitutes because that's the reason they're brought on. So, But I honestly, I don't think it'll be long before he gets his first goal. And I think he can, he can chip in with with goals and assists, a bit like uh, the aforementioned Ken Semakan as well. So, delighted with him and maybe his championship is his level. Who knows? 
Yeah, well, um, James from a Watford Ways popped a comment up saying Kalu to start Saturday. I've seen a few people mention it, um, but I've also seen comments from Billich, and you probably know about this more than what I do, Andrew, but saying about it, his fitness isn't fully up there yet, is he? So I, I, I doubt it, he would start at Bristol City, and this World Cup break is probably ideal for Kalu to work on that fitness, isn't it, Andrew? Yeah, um, Billich has always said that he thought there was a really good player in there, but when he arrived, he wasn't fit. Um, and people, I think people mistook what he said. It wasn't like that when he arrived, that, you know, Kalu was two stone overweight and sitting in a deck chair. Um, when you, I talked to Keenan Davis about this, when he was sort of getting himself match fit and he explained, you know, that, that you can get to a level of fitness where you can train with the first team. And then that gets you to a level of fitness where you can play 20 minutes. And then that gets you to 30 minutes. He said, but it's a bit like golf handicaps. It's the chipping away the last bit that takes time. So he said to get yourself from a position of being able to play an hour to being able to play 90 is the hard part. And I think Kalu, when Bilic arrived, was at that position where he wasn't even fit enough to be in the first team. And then gradually we've seen him get fitter and fitter and fitter. And I spoke to Kalu last night, who, as we said, really nice bloke and very, very humble and modest but he's, he's, and his English is excellent. Um, but what he said was, you know, he's, he's not frustrated, but he's hoping now that he'll get that game time that he needs because he said, you know, one minute at the end, two minutes at the end, 10 minutes at the end, he's never going to get fit. So it was interesting that they gave him a run out in the under-21s the other week for the full 90 minutes. And obviously they're trying to get game time into his legs. Um, I did a bit of research today because I'd, I'd never spoken to him before. And, and you know, I was quite surprised that... that the level he's played at, you know, he's played um, Champions League, he's played Europa League, he's played Africa Cup of Nations, he's played in World Cup qualifiers. Interestingly, I think it was about 25% of his appearances have been from off the bench. So he might be one of those classic impact players. Um, I mean, you two are younger than me, but there was a Liverpool used to have David Fairclough who barely started a game, but was, you know, known as super sub because they would bring him on and either he'd score or set something up. And there are some players who, when you ask him to do it over 90 minutes, and Forrest Yeri is a good example, can't do it. But ask him to do it for a half or the first hour or the last 20 minutes, and they can do it. And he's definitely got something. You know, you must, as a fullback, it must be a nightmare when you're tired with 20 minutes to go and someone that quick comes on and they want to spin you and turn you. And, you know, he said to me last night, that's his game. He likes to play tight to a defender, you know, let the ball go past him and then go. Um, and, at Wigan, that run you talk about was amazing. You know, if that had been a premiership player, that would have definitely been on Soccer AM. They'd have been talking about it. I mean, there was everything. The step overs, pirouettes. He, he will score goals. I think he'll win us free kicks and penalties as well because, you know, he will just get into positions where he'll buy a foul. Um, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd be surprised if he started on Saturday, but I'd also be surprised if he didn't get, uh, you know, 25, half an hour, particularly if, if, you know, if it's a tight game and you're looking to open them up. So, yeah, I mean, I... I I, it's easy to dismiss him because of his agent or who oversaw the deal. And that's often been the case that, you know, we've had some mystery players turn up that, have, you know, we've questioned why they're here. But with Kalu, I always had more hope for him when Bilic, who's no reason to, said, I think there's a very special player there and I, I can't believe he's not had more game time. Because after all, Bilic is an experienced manager who, as I said earlier, you know, he, he says what's in his head. He doesn't say things that he thinks people want to hear. He says what he believes to be true. And he's really talked Kalu up and said that he thought he could do some really good stuff. And I think we saw that last night, certainly at Weaving, we saw it. It'll be interesting to see when we get back from the international break, what position he's in. Because, you know, I think Billich will definitely want to see 
that he can sustain it. But what a nice position to be in where, you know, we're questioning, you know, does Sema start? Does Kamara start? You know, does does Espria naturally start? Should we bring Callow in? That's where we want to be is where the team doesn't pick itself, where, you know, the fans are uh, struggling to pick the 11, not because we haven't got 11 fit players, but because we can't squeeze everybody in that we want to be in. And I think Callow will be a, it could be a really good surprise package. That's what we want. We want players to give the manager a headache, don't we? We want it to make it to be difficult for him to pick that team and we want him to have options to change a game from the bench. And it feels like with Kalu, he, he definitely can change a game from the bench. And it's refreshing because over the last few months, it's felt like we haven't had that because we haven't got the squad depth at the moment because of all the injuries. But to have someone like Kalu who's recovered from his injuries that he had at the start of the season, but he's slowly building up his fitness, it's just reassuring and refreshing to know that there is a player in him. He can be exciting. He's a player that gets bums off seats, isn't he? A bit like a, like you say, like a Forestieri type who you can't maintain the 90 minutes, but he's an exciting player. He's going to take on his men. He's going to draw in the foul. He's going to win free kits, win penalties. And it's those kind of players are exciting for fans to see. And we've we heard a lot of hype about Kalu when he came in. Where everyone saw the YouTube videos of some of his goals at Bordeaux and that, and that was fantastic. But it's actually nice to actually see that happening now at Vicarage Road. Um, hopefully, we, it's not too long until we actually see him get that first assist for that first goal. But I'll get like one, say, one, one, good, one good anecdote about Kalu, and I won't say which player it was, but I was talking to some of the players at the training ground about him just to find out a bit more about him. And one of them said, when he's in training, he said, we don't know what he's going to do with the ball. And in matches, the opposition don't know what he's going to do with the ball. And we do wonder sometimes if he knows what he's going to do with the ball because, <laughs> he, you know, he's, he's that spontaneous. But that that's dangerous to an opposition because, you know, if you scout Kalu, um, you could scout him in one game and you think, well, we don't need to worry about him. If you scouted him against Wigan or last night, you'd be all over it and trying to work out what to do. That unpredictability, that, you know, slight loose cannon, we might have to not be games where he does nothing. But then there'll be other games where he'll win it with a run into the box or across. That's a great asset to have off the bench or to be able to start with. So, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it, he's he's a bonus. You know, he's one at the start of the season that you wouldn't thought that when we got to the World Cup break, we'd have been saying, should Kalu start? We would probably have been saying, will Kalu even be in the 25-man squad? So what a bonus to have. It, after a run of, you know, where we've had some disappointments with injuries, to have someone who's come up on the rails and, and surprised us, I think it's a, you know, it's a massive bonus. Yeah, definitely. And one player who we don't really have to think about or worry if if it's going to come into the side or not, and we know he's one of probably the first names on the team sheet, is Joel Pedro, Mike. Uh, Picked up a brace last night. He dispatched the penalty, which is a relief to Watford fans because we've missed a couple this season with his Malasar and Imran Luza. Although when Sar steps over a penalty, I think all Watford fans go, oh, no. Please, someone else take the ball off him. And we saw a loser and we was like, all right, he's probably decent over a penalty spot, penalty saved. And then Joel Pedro stepped up last night. He, he scored a penalty for Watford away at Preston North End last time he was in the championship. Mm. And he converted from the spot. But he was, again, I, I don't think he was at his best last night, but he's, he's there at the right points, isn't he? And he, he, even him not at his best is enough to win games for Watford. It's it's unbelievable, mate. I, I went on a Reading podcast before, I think it was the day of the game or the day before, and they were saying, like, look, who, who are you highlighting? And I did a piece for 
another Reading podcast as well. And they both said, who who do you highlight as your danger men? And you never want to be boring. If your team's got that star man, it's so easy to just say, yeah, it'll be him, it'll be Sarr, it'll be Pedro, it'll be Davids. But genuinely, it's scary at times that we've got someone that good in our team. You mentioned last night wasn't his best game. It wasn't, but he's still got two goals and he's still... Like, wowed us. You know, you watch him against Luton. He turns players inside out. Um, I said on the Reading podcast that I couldn't remember what game it was where he did everything but score. Um, I realised after I said it that it was a Middlesbrough game. He literally did not lose the ball all game, did everything right other than put the ball in the back of the net. And he's he's a better player this season so far from what I've seen, than he was when he was in the Championship last time. I know some people might say, well, you know, that's quite an obvious thing to say because it was his first full season in English football. But the, the fact that he's improving is it, much better. And he'll, I think he'll finally break that 10-goal barrier this season, 100%, no problems. He's on six already now. But he's just, he's a joy to watch. He really is. And uh, I've said it many times on this podcast before, and I hope someone's clipped it somewhere. But he will, I think, still think he will go on to better things than Richarlison did, uh, and he'll play for a top six side, whether that be Newcastle if if they finally break that that barrier. But he uh, he's going to go on to special special things, Ben. He was he, he's he's worlds his shoulders above sometimes. He really is. Oh, I saw the Brazil squad the other day, and I saw Pedro on there and I thought wow <laughs> he, he's actually got into the side he, he he deserves it but then I realised there's actually another Pedro that starts for Brazil so I, I was a little bit gutted but also pleased that he's not gone yet so he can stay and, um, and work with the squad over in Spain but Andrew you've seen a lot of talent at Watford over the years but how highly do you rate Joel Pedro? I, I, th- I think he could turn out to be one of the best players we've had um, whether that's in Watford colours or whether you know, he moves on later on and really fulfills it because I think gone are the days when we could keep someone like John Barnes for as long as we did. I mean, John Barnes now would have not spent the time he did with us. Um, looking at last night, I, I understand what you mean about it not being his best game, but I think last night what I noticed was the work he did out of possession and off the ball, which isn't the stuff that people spot. You know, it's not mazy dribbles, it's not shots on goal but if you look at the amount of chasing back and tackles won and in him dropping into positions where he's almost playing as a holding midfielder sitting in front of the back four, getting the ball and then when he wins the tackle, he's not just wanting to get rid of it, he's then looking to make a progressive pass I, I thought his work off the ball you know, his work ethic last night was superb and, you know, he almost dragged us up at times when, when you know, there were players around him who were tired. He he would do that 20 yards chasing back. He, he would then, you know, move the ball forward and then he's, he wants to get into attack. And I thought, you know, some of his work is really selfless um, and I'm sure his teammates must really appreciate, you know, you want someone around you who's prepared to do that hard graft when, you know, you're having a bit of a blow. Um, yeah, as, as for his two goals, yeah, and, you know, it's just a delight to see someone put a ball in for the penalty but the, the second goal as well the technique you know I've watched that video about two or three times and you know that that really is it, I, I one of my heroes my hero was Luther and you know I always used to look at some of the headers he scored and they were textbook and you, you'd show a kid and say look you know say you had a ball that Pedro shot last night that's how you keep a ball down when it's bouncing up in the air you know everything you watch him he, it's like a tennis player he's almost got his racket back 
ready to strike because he knows where the ball's going to land. He didn't thrash at it. He kept his knee over it, you know, and, and he watched and he said actually in the interview afterwards that he wasn't looking at a gap. All he was trying to do was put the ball on target, um, which is honest, but also I think that's what players should do sometimes, you know, smack it one, get it on target, see what happens. Um, I, th- I thought his second goal technically was, was brilliant. So while, yeah, I accept that last night, maybe he didn't shine in the way he did against Luton. I think some of the things he did last night, the, the sort of the less glamorous stuff, the nuts and bolts, and also the technique of that second goal. I, I think he's a really special talent. And, um, I, you know, I, I think he's one of the best players that would have played in the championship for sure. And, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's sad that we probably won't keep him for as long as we'd like to, but I think we should enjoy him while we've got him because he's, um, he's, a, he's a rare talent. Yeah, definitely. Well, me and Mike was chatting last week or the week before and we both said that in our time, because we're younger, that he's by far the best player I've ever seen in a Watford shirt. And I just hope we get to see him for many more years. But like you say, a player of his quality, he, he won't be, Watford won't be able to keep hold of him. Um, I know we signed a new contract in the summer, six years, but that, that's basically just rewarding him, um, giving him a better contract. And maybe it ups his value a little bit, doesn't it, Andrew? It protects yeah, him a little yeah, bit I, more. And... Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I would I would love to sit here and say, you know, that he'll get a testimonial, but it, players just won't <laughs> do that anymore. You know, you, you've, a club, unfortunately, a club like Watford will always ultimately be a selling club. And it's not just us. You know, I, I think back to when Tottenham sold Gareth Bale. Um, you know, if the price comes along and it's right, then there's very few clubs outside of maybe Manchester City, Liverpool, who, who will say no to any price. And unfortunately, one day someone will match the asking price for Gio Pedro. But I think, you know, I'll be very surprised if he goes in January. So I think we've got him for the rest of the season. Um, what happens beyond that? Who knows? But, you know, it, yeah, I'm not a bit older and He's a, he's a very different sort of player to John Barnes, but he's that sort of prodigious talent where he'll try things and he'll do things that other players won't do, and he won't always it won't always go right for him. But just the fact that he's got the audacity to try it shows that he, he's full of confidence. And I think the other thing that mustn't be missed is he, he's built himself up when he first came. If you look at Aspria now, that's how Pedro was when he first arrived. You know, it looked like his shirt was still on the hanger, but he has obviously gone away and, and with the right advice, has, has built himself up to the fact, you know, that now he's an impressive individual who's got stature. You know, he, he won that penalty last night because the only way to stop him was to drag him to the floor by the neck. So while he's, is, is, you know, his technical ability is, 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 without question. He's also got that bit of strength that means that he can run through people, he can shoulder people, he can body his way through. Yeah, I, I think I think he's got pretty much everything, and I, I hope that when he goes, in a way, I, you know, if it is Newcastle or someone like that, it needs to be a big club. It needs to be someone who's deserving of his ability, and you know, he's the sort of player that could easily end up playing in Spain or Italy. He's got, you know, if it in anywhere. I think um, I was talking to Kenny Jacket the other day, and he said, you know, that the role that Jao Pedro plays, that classic number ten, they're few and far between. At a world-class level and he he said you know he, he thought that Jao Pedro was at you know tops top eight top 10 premiership level or anyone he fancied in Spain or Italy so yeah we, we may not get to see him for, for too much longer but um, let's always remember that you know we found him and and uh, we gave him his, his start and I'm sure that um, wherever he goes we'll enjoy watching him let's just enjoy it while we can yeah definitely I can't agree with that um, Mike we obviously picked up the three points up to fifth in the league, but we travel to Ashton Gate on Saturday. Uh, Bristol City awaits. Um, 
Nigel Pearson is the head coach. Um, they're, I think they're fourth or fifth from bottom, but to be fair, they, they score a lot of goals, but they equally let in a lot of goals as well. You don't really know what Bristol City you're going to get at times. Um, former Hornet, Andrew Wyman as well, he scored hatfuls of goals this season. I know he went through a little drought where he didn't score for a, a few games, but he's still got good numbers this season. Naki Wells can score on his day as well. Are you expecting a tough game this, uh, this, um, this weekend at Aston Gate? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can never remember us winning at Bristol City. Um, I remember going, um, it was in the league and John Eustace scored in the last minute and he was offside. Uh, it was the other end to where the away fans were. We we were, the last time I went, we were in the away end and they had the wooden seats with no backs on them. Um, but I think it was like 2008 and he scored a last minute equaliser. So, um, but I can never remember us winning, even in the FA Cup. I think we drew them in the uh, FA Cup at their place the same season that we had them in the league. And I think they dumped us out of the Cup that year as well. I, I always remember uh, Emmanuel Thomas always had a brilliant game against us. Uh, at home, we were all right against them, but away, just never um, never can seem to remember us winning. But yeah, of course, I'm expecting a tough game. It's cliche as, as hell for me to say this, but I don't go into any game this season thinking, right, there's three points there. Like, every, any team on their day, look at Huddersfield. I know QPR aren't exactly ripping it up recently since uh, Beal spoke to uh, Wolves, I think it was. But Huddersfield, bottom of the league, and they beat QPR at their own patch. So, you know, that just shows that anyone can beat anyone. And um, I think the inconsistency with Bristol City, you know, it wasn't long ago that they were sort of towards the, the, the higher end of the table. And now, you just saying there, their fourth or fifth bottom surprised me. I didn't think they'd drop down that low. But, yeah, Vyman can get goals. He, he's a handful. Naki Wells knows the division like the back of his hands. Um, you know, I know we've won the last two away games, but we're not exactly, you know, fluid away from home. But it, if it means that we pick up a scrappy 1-0 or a scrappy 2-1, I'll absolutely take it going into the, uh, going into the World Cup break. And... The um, you know the away form has, has picked up a little bit, so it does give me a, a little bit of hope. But if you offered me a point now, I'd slap your hand off. Yeah, how do you think Watford Village uh, is going to approach a game on Saturday, um, Andrew? It's obviously it's the last game before the World Cup, but obviously he's going to go there wanting to pick up the three points. Um, We've also seen about talks of him not wanting to rest Ismail Asar as well because there's talks of maybe Senegal wanting him to not pick up an injury as well. But Bilic, he wants his best players to play and he says that this game is an important game for Watford, isn't it? Yeah, first things first. If you haven't seen Watford win at Bristol City, go and look at the 98-99 season. We won their 4-1. Uh, Richard Johnson scored two and one of them was so far out. I think he was in a different county when he hit it. Um, you have to see it. I, the goalkeeper's on his line and it basically almost knocks him in the back of the net. So you need to go and see that 4-1 away on the way to promotion. Um, yeah, I think there's only, the village really has only got one way. You know, he talks about it a lot. He wants to be on the front foot. I can't ever imagine he's a manager who's going to go away from home and certainly not in the championship. He might in the Premier League, but, you know, he's going to go away and, and expect to to you know, be forward thinking. Um, as for the star situation, it was, it was a question he was asked last night. I mean, and, and you know, he was, he was a bit sort of um, incredulous really as to why would I leave out 
one of my best players. Um, and I, I, I don't think I don't think that Bilic is the sort of person who is going to think, well, I need to do Senegal a favour. I mean, I might be wrong, but certainly last night, you know, his his, his answer was no. He's he's going to play. You know, um, that that's just it. You know, and I thought he made a good point that you know players going into a tournament want to be going in on good form and they want to be fit and they want to be sharp. And so by leaving someone out, you're you're a, you're denying them the chance to do that. Obviously, you run the risk of picking up an injury, as we saw with Loser. But I I, I think you know he he will field his strongest team. Whether Saar finishes the game, you know, it's a different thing. But then, as we've said, we've got options. You know, you've got people like Kalu and Espria who can come on and, and do different things. He I you know at the moment in in away games, it's it's interesting because teams are obliged to attack at home. Whereas when they come to our place, they can be a bit deeper and a bit more cautious, you know, a bit like Reading were last night, like Coventry were at the weekend. Um, I watched us at Cardiff, and if we don't give away a goal like we did at Cardiff, and you ride that maybe 15, 20 minutes of when the home team has a go at you, then I think, you know, quality will will, will out and, and, you know, we'll pick teams off. What we need is is that better start. You know, I've, I've been to all the away games this season and you dread that first 15 minutes where it's like a, a cup time where the non-league team just batters you for 15 minutes and you're clinging on. You know, and, and the Cardiff game was, was just a great example of it. You know, just such a poor goal to give away from a corner. And then you're playing catch-up and, you know, the one that sticks in my mind is at Rotherham. When when we went to Rotherham, all right, it wasn't Billich, but, you know, the Rotherham people in the press box and the fans, they were dreading it. You know, oh, you're big stars and from the Premier League. And, you know, we give a goal away after six minutes and suddenly the stadium's on its feet and they're all over you and, you know, we're clinging on. That first 20 minutes will be key at Bristol City. You know, we need a good start. We haven't had a good start uh, in too many of the away games. If, if we can come out of that unscathed and then we can get ourselves down and play then, you know, I'm pretty confident we can pick most teams off away from home, particularly, you know, when it's a team like Bristol City who have been a bit up and down and they do give goals away. You know, I think teams who want to try and trade goals with us will will probably end up losing because we know the attack that we've got is is probably the best in the division. So I think the key thing, I'd like to think that, you know, we could either be level or maybe even in front midway through the first half. And if we are, then I'd fancy us from there. It's when we have the slow start, that's when we tend to suffer. Yeah, I mean, Mike's spoken about that a few times this season, about our slow starts, especially away from home. Um, but it was great to see Watford react at Cardiff and actually come from behind to get the three points. And we haven't done that for so long to come from behind to pick up the three points. So that was refreshing to see. Um, we won't keep you for too much longer, Andrew. We've got just one question I just want to ask you that um, Adam Tom, uh, Tomlinson's uh, put in. He said, Andrew, do you know any more news on a new sporting director? Uh, and thank you for, for all your hard work this season. I know you, you um, put a piece out on the Watford Observer the other day after it was broken over in Germany about Ben Manga, is it? Um, a sporting director over there at um, Frankfurt. Is, That's is there right. Any I, more news on that? No, I, 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 the fact that the fact that I ran the story, uh, as as I think you alluded to earlier on, is I, I tend to well, I do run things when I'm, I'm confident that they're accurate. Um, so that means sometimes I, I won't be the first person to break a story, but um, I'd rather what we do at the Watford Observer be where you know if you see it, then you can pretty much believe it. So yeah, I. I I've, I've known that there's been some plans for a little while, um, but unless the story broke somewhere else, I was quite happy to wait for it to be confirmed. But yeah, it looks like that 
Ben Manga from Eintracht Frankfurt will come in. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Gioretta is going to go because um, one of the things that has been mooted is having a sporting director and a technical director. Now, then when people say to me, what do those jobs mean? I don't really know. Um, but uh, they're, they're, they're well paid. But it, it would seem, you know, looking at Manga's background and, and what people have said to me about him is that, you know, he, he is sort of like the, the scout extraordinaire. He's the one that, you know, has got the network and knows where to find these people. And it's not always young people. He's also very good at, you know, if a coach identifies that he wants a certain player in a certain position, then he knows where to go and find them. So, if that's the role they're looking at Manga doing, then obviously that, if, if Gioretta were to stay, that wouldn't be something he'd be needed for um, if he were to stay. But a technical director, as I understand it, is more to do with the logistics rather than the player recruitment. It would be to make sure that, you know, that the manager and the coaching staff have what they need. Now, whether that is what Gioretta's going to do, whether he fancies that, whether he stays or whether he goes to a different club. I don't know, but yeah, it seems that Manga's the one that they want. Um, it could even happen during the international world cup break. Uh, I was always under the impression that it would certainly, someone would be in by January because obviously if we're going to, you know, recruit, then you need someone who's, who's going to be involved in that. So yeah, it would follow the pattern that I was expecting that, we get someone in, 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 you know, in before January, who's obviously got a good network, good contacts. The other day, um, Billich was asked about January and he, you know, he said that he, he would be looking to bring in one or two players, but he'd want to give himself time to look at the squad when everybody's fit. So during the world cup break, but yeah, it all sort of falls into place. Uh, and this guy comes with, you know, the, a, a great CV, um, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt won the Europa League last year. When he when he went there, they just scrambled to stay in the Bundesliga. And over the course of you know five seasons, he's taken them or played a part in taking them to to win in a European trophy. Um, I mean, one stat that I, I found fascinating was that he he was or played a key part in signing Sebastian Haller, uh, who then went to West Ham for forty five million. And the team that Eintracht Frankfurt won the Europa League with last season cost less than they got for Haller. Now that takes some doing when you can sell a bloke for 45 million and build a team that wins the European trophy and get change. So yeah, it, you know, it all fits in. Um, everyone tells me that if it, if he comes, he will be a tremendous asset and that you know, there'll be bigger clubs than us who've missed a gem there. So yeah, you know, all being well from what I understand, you know, that's the man who's coming in, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we've seen the end of, of Cristiano Gioretta, but I, I'm not, sure yet what, what what his future holds whether it's with us or with somebody else yeah well it's it's just it's nice to see that Watford are wanting to act on that position and sort that position out because it's maybe something that we've we've lacked recently and we know it needs room for improvement so it's refreshing to see that there's plans in place for whether they've got someone they're on someone there's communication going on negotiating and hopefully things can get signed and um, sealed soon but Andrew thank you so much for joining us tonight um, on the Voice of the Vic um, it's been a pleasure and I know Mike feels the same but we'd absolutely love to get you on at another point this season to do another review with another yeah. game if you'd be up for that Any, anytime happy to yeah yeah be uh, yeah. Once we get back into the the season, be happy to do any time. Nothing I love more than talking Watford. Well, I love curry. I love curry more than talking Watford. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. If we could do it over a curry, then that would just be utopia. But yeah, happy to do it any time. Right, nice one. Thank you very much, Andrew. And just before we go as well, Mike's got a target that he wants to hit. He wants to hit three hundred YouTube subscribers by Christmas. 
I said to him he was a bit ambitious when he wanted it at the start of the season, but we're up to 254 now. Uh, so we're not far off. We just need another 46. If you're watching now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you're watching the video back, hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Let us know your thoughts on the video. And me and Mike will actually be back Monday evening to do a review of a Bristol City game because um, we're both busy for the on, on Sunday to do it. So we're going to do it Monday night. But thank you for watching, everyone. Stay safe and come on, you Wards. Sports Social Podcast Network.